Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus on fixed income markets as we will reflect on what has been a turbulent start of the year for investors as well as outline expectations for return in 2022 and how fixed income investors should consider positioning accordingly. Uh, joining us here for the conversation today, uh, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Leslie Falconio, Senior Fixed Income Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Leslie, good morning. Welcome back and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, Leslie, as I alluded to, 2022, it has been an eventful start, so to speak, for investors, though. Putting that aside, the first couple of weeks here, what were your expectations heading into 2022? Well, I mean, we had expected this catch up in you know nominal yield, given the fact that you know, from the November 26th, the widening that we've seen after Omicron was labeled as a variant of concern, you saw a lot of, you saw credit spread widening, you saw a correction in the equity market, and you saw a decline in treasury yields as one would expect because people will sort of move into a safety. But as the year went on, particularly at the end of the year, we saw at the equity market what credit spreads, you know, tighten. And yet there still was an incredible lag within the nominal yields, and particularly that we ended at 150. So our expectation was that, you know, yields would move higher. We had thought that there was this paradox between higher for longer inflation and lower for longer yields um, was a bit too extreme, and we expected this catch-up. Now, granted, we've moved a, an incredible amount in a very short period of time, I and mean, we actually got to about 185 in 10-year yields last night. When you think we had, we ended at 1.5, it's like a 35 basis points rise. And, and people are having a little bit of, of deja vu, I should say, in terms of, you know, what they saw last year and the incremental amount of, of move up in treasuries in such a short period of time. However, the difference today is the fact that we are starting on stronger footing in terms of growth. And it's really about trying to analyze, you know, the Fed actions and the disparity of the, of the people may have in terms of what the Fed action might be as they might be a headwind to growth going forward. So, Leslie, I do want to dive further into the Fed in a few moments. Quickly here at the start to single out spreads for a moment. What do those look like here at the start of the year? Well, I'll tell you, they have been, spreads have been very resilient, I have to say. I mean, we have, you know, the corporate market in, in you know, the mid-90s, you know, high yield is in low 300s. Granted, we've seen a tremendous rise in WTI oil prices, you know, $9, $9, $10 price uh, increase in, you know, the past, you know, two weeks. We're in like mid-80s right now. So all of those really have been, um, you know, great challenge for spread compression. We also have new cash to be put to work. But I don't think that when we look, you know, going forward, and one of the things that we know, particularly in when you take, when you try and analyze previous, Fed cycles where they shift monetary policy and start raising rates. I mean, your, your starting points and spreads are much lower. So we do expect just as volatility increases and uncertainty increases, that risk premium that investors should actually earn um, should widen out a bit. Not in a catalyst approach. We're not thinking it's going to be this, you know, 50 basis point widening over a two day period. But again, we, you know, spreads do seem tight and, and, you know, in our opinion, you should be compensated a bit more. And I think you're going to see a lot of disparity throughout the year. Now, I do want to point out quickly for our listeners, our clients, that Leslie recently authored the Fixed Income Strategist flagship publication. The title for January the 1st of the year is The Endgame. And within this piece, Leslie, I know you talk about kinds of challenges uh, that exist for fixed income investors. Specifically, Leslie, can you speak to the potential implications of higher for longer inflation and lower for longer interest rates? 
Well, I think I think there's been a bit of a comfort level in terms of that interest rates will stay lower for longer. And and understand what I say is historically they will, right? Over a longer term period, you know, interest rates are still low. Interest rates would be low at two and two and three quarters. But you know, investors have a tendency to just look at the previous year. And given the fact that we were coming from such a low base after you know the the March twenty the March sort of shutdown in the economy in March twenty twenty. That, you know, people have a tendency to be very short-sighted. Now, interest rates are going to remain historically low, you know, over you know, the course of the year and in the next year. But you have to, when we think about, you know, what the Fed is going to do in terms of pulling it back or sort of lifting their foot off that gas pedal a little bit, we should have a bit of catch-up in terms of, you know, interest rates rising to catch up with those potential inflation expectations. Now, Dan, what that really will result in is something that we felt for quite some time in, in 2021. And this, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, this stayed very negative for a sustained period of time, much longer than we anticipated, was the level of real yields. And the level of real yields are simply the nominal treasury yield minus your inflation expectation. Now, real yields have gone up over the past two weeks. They're still obviously very negative, but a lot less negative. And we think that trend will continue. And we think it will continue because nominal rates will rise. And also, as the Fed becomes more preemptive, you know, you'll have sort of like a rollover of these inflation expectations because, they'd, first of all, they had gotten much too high last year, um, you know, for a sustained period of time. And also, too, when the Fed sort of starts to take action, it's taking action to try and prevent this hyperinflation type of scenario. Leslie, running with the Fed a bit further, heading into the year, we even had some indications of this, but the Fed has adopted this hawkish tilt, and that sentiment was actually reinforced last week by Fed Chairman Jerome Powell. His testimony as part of his confirmation hearing to the Senate up on Capitol Hill. So, Leslie, what are the implications of a more hawkish stance by the Fed to fixed-income investors and Treasury markets? Well, when we think about how we've moved this year in terms of nominal yields, you have to really think about what's priced into the marketplace. Right now, the market is making four to five rate hikes, you know, um, over 2022. We know that, you know, you know, tapering is, um, is, is, is already occurring and will probably end in March, you know, the end of this tapering. And then, then of course, we have the new, the new sort of variant in there is the balance sheet unwind or quantitative tightening, which again, the market is now aware of. You know, the market, it's not a question of, of if it's a question of when, you know, the, the Fed starts QT. But again, the market is pricing all this in. So what happens is when you have all these variables that are priced in, you get this really large move in rates in a short period of time. Now, in our, in our opinion, you know, we're not looking for, you know, at the, at the end of the year, we still think about 225, right, for year at 220-ish for, for 10-year yield. But it's not as though as we sit at a 185, you're going to go to two and just be a flat line, right? You're going to have a lot of volatility. You're going to go up, you're going to go to 225, you're going to go back to 170, you know, and so on and so forth. I mean, that's sort of the way it's going to, to react throughout the rest of the year. I mean, it's hard to believe we're only on the 18th of January. We have a long way to go. But one of the biggest variables that the market is really trying to contend with now, and hopefully there'll be a little bit more color on at the end of Jan meeting from um, the FOMC, given the fact that they don't have a new dot plot or anything, I'm sure the balance sheet will be definitely a, a, a spotlight, is the pace and by how much. So it is assumed that you, there is not a consensus opinion on this. And as we know, when we go back to the data set of what happened the last time the Fed did QT, you only have one. So it's really tough to really know the, 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 the precise impact that it will have on, on yield, but just know that the market is expecting it, right? So in order for yields to move meaningfully higher based on 
the Fed balance sheet unwind, it would have to go faster and larger than what the current market is pricing in. And now most of most people think, and most investors think, as do I, this is going to be more of a gradual approach, right? The, you know, the Fed is not looking to, you know, you know, you know, cause tremendous amount of volatility in the market. Do they care about it? Like a 10, 15 correct, 10 percent correction S&P? No, they don't. I mean, if, if it happened in one day, they wouldn't. But if it happens over a period of time, then it's not their concern. But they, they want to prevent sort of freezing of the market. They want to prevent potential catalysts. So this will be, in my opinion, over a long period of time. But the thing is, we just don't know. And we also know that, you know, what people that the balance sheet in and of itself is very large. It's $8.6 trillion that we have in the Fed balance sheet. It's like 36% of GDP. But Alongside reserves are very large. As we've all talked about it, it's been, you know, a common theme, excess liquidity, excess cash, you know, and all of this, and this is all true. The, the, the amount of reserves that are outstanding are very high and it will take a long time of dwindling those reserves down before you actually get to what we call tightening. So, you know, that is really the big question right now will be, be around, you know, the balance sheet. And also, of course, I mean, another, another question, which is, which is in play is that look, pri- pre, Prior to the last hiking cycle, okay, the norm was for the Fed to hike once a month and not once a quarter. And now, you know, we're pricing in. People are pricing once a quarter, and you're kind of leaning more towards maybe they do an intermittent and once a month. And this is the market's perception. So, I mean, our view is that they still go maybe three or four, and it's going to be quarterly. But the market is actually now pricing in, then, hmm, you know, maybe they'll go back to monthly. But this is all speculation based on, you know, some of the inflation numbers that we've seen, which we do believe will be low in the second half of the year. Leslie, as we begin to close out, perhaps we can tie this all into positioning. So given the environment that you have outlined for us, coupled with that outlook, how should fixed income investors think about positioning their portfolios, Leslie? Yeah, we, we did this in 2019. I wrote about this yield versus this shield. And it's sort of a rule and thumb in the fixed income market. When you want to earn yield and when you want to earn carry, you don't really do it in the long end, right? Because you're taking a lot of industry risk on. Okay, so if you're just doing an asset class in the long end for carry, it's not going to take much move in 10-year yield or 30-year yield to wipe that out, right? It's going to be very small. So what you want to do is normally you take your carry in the credit market and you take it in the short end. Right. And so you really what you're doing is you're taking things like credit, like senior loans, you know, very short end high yield. You know, those those sectors that are credit oriented have have a nice income stream, a good amount of carry. Right. But if, in fact, say, hypothetically, we do have a correction in the equity market or growth comes out much slower than what's anticipated and yields come down. Those types of sectors aren't going to really have a lot of interest rate protection. So you have to go for shield and shield is going to be on the long end. Right. And that shield, you know, when you think about this long end, whether it's, like, you know, to protect your equity and fixed income sectors that have a high correlation to the equity market, you have to make sure that you have protection, which is called shield. And those are securities that have a much longer interest rate type of um, risk to them. That's your total return. But it's important to remember that when we have this approach, it's a barbell approach, it's not meant for three months. It's not meant for four months. Okay. So it's meant for longer terms for protection. And you should always have that kind of protection. And particularly now, when we look at interest rates at, you know, 185, 10 year yields, it normalized a lot. You're back to the level of the fall of 2019. 10-year yield, which is 152%. So we're right back in that range. There's no 30 basis points of March of 2020 or 90 basis points of December 21. You know, you've normalized now. So that incremental move higher will have a much less of an impact. 
So when, so especially now when you actually can earn some carry from treasury and you have, you know, the cycle matures, it's not bad to have that kind of barbell approach. So that's how we kind of look at it. Our sector still have been senior loans. I know it's been a sector we've had for a long time. We've been bearish for a long time. We've been yield arising for a long time. So that this is, this has worked out well and we continue with it. Things like CMBS, you take a little bit more interest rate risk there in terms of the break even spreads and what you're earning in terms of cushion is much, is cheaper than what we're seeing on the, the higher grade corporate side. So those kinds of sectors as well are, are, are instruments that we like with this barbell approach. So carry in the short end, uh, and interest rate, you take for the long it is more of your shield for total return. Well, Leslie, it sounds like it promises to be a very interesting rate environment over the course of the year. So looking forward to tracking the activity with you. But very productive conversation this morning. A lot of valuable takeaways with respect to portfolio positioning guidance. So, Leslie, thank you again for dropping by top of the morning. Appreciate your insights and looking forward to continuing the conversation again with you soon. Thanks very much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Leslie. And again, today we've been joined by Leslie Falcon. Senior Fixed Income Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. That, of course, includes the publication which Leslie has been making reference to during our conversation today, the fixed income strategist title for the month of January is the end game. So for clients of UBS, please be sure to contact your financial advisor to learn more about today's topics and to receive a copy of that publication directly. Top of the morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.